0: Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And here we go. Today we begin our 21 days of prayer and fasting for 2018. Did you remember? Talk to uh, I know some people aren't starting today, they're starting tomorrow. That's fine. Uh, I want to say this. I didn't actually have it in my notes, but I usually mention this. And it all comes down to not being legalistic about this thing, all right? You're, we're going to be talking about fasting in general today. Uh, you look at the history of fasting and things like Lent and longer fasts. There are uh, segments of Christianity down through the ages that refused to fast on Sunday simply because this is the Lord's Day. It's such a day of celebration. The reason we meet on Sundays, by the way, uh, and I'm already getting off track and I haven't started my sermon. I've, <laughs> I have a friend of mine, and I've heard people object to this over the years. Well, we shouldn't be meeting on Sunday. We should be meeting on Saturday because Saturday's the Sabbath. We don't meet on Sundays because we think Sunday is the Sabbath. If you want to observe the Sabbath, that's fine, and Saturday would be the Sabbath. We meet on Sunday because it's considered the Lord's Day. They began meeting on the first day of the week because that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And because it's such a, a point of celebration, it was it's con- it was considered, and still is considered by many, again, many groups within Christianity, uh, to not be appropriate to afflict the soul on Sunday. So if you're on a three-week fast, take Sundays off if you want. Don't get legalistic about it either way is all I'm saying, all right? So if you want to, but how many can I just, ah, never mind, never mind. I, you know what, I, I, I didn't want to put anybody on the spot for not doing this, but I really encourage everybody to participate in this in some way. All right? Uh, I'll be talking about our theme uh, for the year here in a little bit, uh, but today's message, like I said, will be more about fasting in general and our three-week corporate fast in particular. And I'll start uh, by offering my usual statements about fasting. A fast by definition is abstaining from all food, no calories, no stimulants, only water, uh, often for a specified time a three day fast a twenty four hour fast a two week fast whatever um, the the there also uh, has been described in the bible you know i 'm thinking of Moses and uh, Jesus who both entered and completed 40-day complete fasts, no food and no water, as Richard Foster in his monumental Celebration of Discipline. I don't know how many of you have had the pleasure of reading that book. Uh, he, he, He points out very correctly, I might add, that that can only be described as a supernatural fast. It's not something I would ever recommend you doing. Okay, you would have to literally hear from God. Don't think I think the Lord might be leading me to go without 40 days of food and water because if that's not supernaturally attended, you are going to die. Okay, you can only go about three days without water. But also a fast doesn't need to last 40 days. Uh, And although we use the term fast for our purposes, it doesn't need to be a total abstinence from food uh, or it doesn't even need to be limited to food. What we are doing, what we are choosing to do is for 21 days lay aside something natural in pursuit of something supernatural. And maybe the biggest question is why? Why fasting? What's the connection here? Uh, And I think uh, we need to spend some time answering that because I think the hardest hurdle to overcome in this uh, endeavor is the idea that our fasting gets God's attention, Like when we start doing without something that's important to us, like food, God's going to say, hey, hey, check this out. This guy's serious about his prayer. He's not even eating. We're going to listen to this, and we're going to answer his prayer or her prayer. Uh, And that's not how it works. For one thing, let's address God's omniscience. God is all-knowing, all right? God knows your heart. He knows how serious you are about him, how serious you are about pursuing him. I think back to the account of Abraham and Isaac. You know, we see this agonizing picture of Abraham taking his only son, the one he had waited all these years for, for the fulfillment of the promise, and taking him up to the mountain and sacrificing him, actually preparing to, sacrificing him, uh, to sacrifice him, and God stops him and says, Stop. Now I know that you will not withhold your son, your only son, from me. Well, did God know ahead of time that Abraham was willing to do that? He did. You know who maybe didn't know as well as God did? Abraham and Isaac. <laughs> and this is what happened. I, th- I think when Moses was uh, interceding for the children of Israel in the wilderness, you know, he's up on the mountain, and God says, hey, the people down there have corrupted themselves. They've made this golden calf. Stay up here on the mountain with me a minute. I'm going to destroy them and start over with you. And what's Moses say? No, 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 don't do that, Lord. Uh, that because the Egyptians are going to hear about it, You're going to, your name is going to be sullied, people are not going to respect you, please uh, forgive them this sin. Moses interceded. Uh, and I've, I've always maintained that God told Moses what he told Moses specifically because he knew Moses would intercede. He needs to have man there praying on behalf. He needs to have his representative there because prayer is such a vital part of, of everything God does in the earth. So God knew. God knows these things ahead of time. So he knows how much you want him, how much you desire him, but you don't. We will learn an awful lot more. Once again, if you hear me say this every year, a fast isn't about getting God's attention on me. It's about getting my attention on God. When I decide to lay something down, I find out pretty quickly how serious I am. God knew ahead of time. But I find out just how serious I am starting about day three, day four, day five, how much do I really want God? You know, uh, it'll reveal just how tight a grip food has on us or certain foods have on us or certain um, habits or, or uh, activities have on us. How long can we do without them? How easy is it is to do without them? Because the harder it is, the more we realize how, how controlled we are by outside forces and appetites. Uh, Now, For many, the appetite for other things might seem stronger than the appetite for food or certain foods. And for that reason, many choose to fast television, fast the Internet, fast social media, etc. The value in that choice is great because what what happens then uh, is it frees up a lot of time for prayer and for Bible study. And we'll come back to that here in a second. Um, The reason I encourage food usually is because, scientifically speaking, hunger is the strongest urge we experience. All other desires fade and pale in comparison to physical hunger if we go very long without food, if we allow ourselves to get hungry. And when we fast, uh, what we are doing is proving not to God but to ourselves that we desire something. Uh, more than food, that we desire him more than these things we've laid down. And that's hard to imagine because we have strong desires for a lot of things. But the fact is, speaking for myself, I rarely allow myself to get truly hungry. You know, Uh, don't go long enough without food to have a real deep hunger riley and i went into town yesterday and we'd had something earlier in the day not a lot we weren't gorging ourselves i think we had a couple of bean burritos or something and then later in the afternoon we went into town to pick up some things for a project that my wife is doing well that we are doing yes thank you and uh and as we are driving, we are driving to Menards, and we passed Steak and Shake, and I had a gift card in my pocket. So I said, hey, Riley, how about after we pick this stuff up, we stop in and get a bowl of chili? He says, I'm down with that. So we, we, we went, and we picked up our stuff at Menards. Had to run over to Meyer to pick a couple things up. Well, we're walking through the produce section, and Riley goes over and spots the sushi stuff. You know, Meyer has sushi, and it's not bad. I'm not a sushi expert, Okay. And I know grocery store sushi, but I, I don't do the sashimi, you know, just a California roll, all right? So he sees this package, spicy California roll. So it's got this this orange sauce drizzled on it, plus it's got the wasabi and the ginger and the soy sauce. He says, does this look good? I said, yeah, it actually does look good, so let's get it. So we get it and some other stuff. And we sit out in the car in the parking lot, and we eat this sushi. And... uh we're doing, you know, how much, how much uh, wasabi can we put in our mouths at once? You know, nah! you know our eyeballs are coming out of our head, and our sinuses are screaming. And it wasn't a ton of food. There were, what, 12 little pieces of sushi, so six apiece. But I wasn't hungry. You know, we, we ate it, and I'm sitting there in the parking lot, but that didn't stop us from going to Steak and Shake and getting the chili. <laughs> and it's saying, when I went in When we passed Steak and Shake, you know, I'm not saying I was hungry, hungry, but, yeah, boy, chili sounded really good. By the time we finished that sushi, I wasn't hungry, but there was room for chili, all right? And that's typically how it goes. We're grazers. Not all of us are, okay? But as a species, I think we are. Uh, and if we allow ourselves to truly hunger, we will learn some things about ourselves, especially if we're not accustomed to getting hungry. Um, And this is why also we should choose something, whether it's food or whether it's uh, an activity. It should be something that we miss every single day. You know, it's easy to sing songs and say things like, all I want is you, Lord. Nothing I desire compares with you. The things of earth grow strangely dim." But when we deny ourselves something that we are accustomed to having in abundance, we learn differently, frankly. We find out just how far we are from that ideal, don't we? And uh, by the way, a reminder, what you choose to lay down, what you fast should be a legitimate pleasure. Okay, We're not talking about quitting bad habits. Nothing wrong with that. You should do that. You know, if you're you're tied up in a bad habit or especially a sinful habit, those things need to be laid down because they're wrong as they need to be laid down because they're harmful, all right? Uh, Do that anyway. And, And, you know, a nice side effect, by the way, of a fast might be to reveal to you that if you can forego something like food, you can certainly lay down cigarettes, alcohol, pornography, or some other besetting sin or weight that has a stronghold in your life. Because there's no stronger urge than food. And if you can lay that down, you can lay the other stuff down. Now, back to this idea of getting God's attention. Uh, remember, again, it's not about that. It gets our attention. And it really does. Now, I always say this, and I don't, I don't want to make this sound like this is, this is written in stone because I think we can get value, of it, uh, value out of it a lot faster. My experience has been, and a lot of people have agreed with this over the years, I'm saying this to sort of encourage you. During the first few days of the fast, what your attention really will be on is the fast. Uh, it's, it's an adjustment. And what you find yourself thinking about, even though you know you're supposed to be thinking about God, is, wow, I really could go for a hamburger or a piece of chocolate or whatever it is. Uh, and so you'd be thinking about that. And then in the toward the final days of the fast, you're kind of focused on the light at the end of the tunnel. Three more days and I get to have what I've been missing for three weeks. But during that middle section there, it doesn't need to just be the second week, but maybe from day three or day four on to uh, a couple days before the fast, you're kind of in a zone where you're accustomed to it. You know the decision is made. You've got a couple of days under your belt, and the, the end is far enough away so you're not thinking about it very much, and you can really begin to hear from God and allow him to work on you during that time. Just kind of get in that zone. Let him speak to you about some things. Maybe he wants to speak to you personally about some things he wants you to lay down for a longer period of time every year especially around this time of year see it on facebook you see it uh, all sorts of places or hear people talk about you know i'm going this year without soda i'm going this year without internet or something like that people do it they make longer term decisions than this Uh, and there might be something that god wants you to lay down maybe it's something he wants you to lay down permanently for whatever reason Uh, but he will speak to you um but we all have to remember, too, that there is a time for feasting and a time for fasting. We have to do both. A person who continually desires them, uh, de- denies themselves uh, the legitimate pleasure of a feast or the legitimate, any of the legitimate pleasures that God has given us to enjoy is clearly a legalist. But the person who refuses to deny himself Anything because God has freely given us all things to enjoy is also a legalist. You see what I'm saying? I won't fast. I won't give that up. This is a gift from God. God is a God of abundance. He's a God of feasts. All right? And yes, he is a God of abundance. And yes, he does freely give us all things. But that doesn't mean that we are at liberty Uh, or that we should not exercise the liberty to deny ourselves something for a specified amount of time uh, in pursuit, again, of something greater than the things uh, that he has blessed us with. All right? Uh, Jesus himself clearly said that there would come a time when his followers would fast. You remember that when the disciples, uh, when when he was questioning, you know, John the Baptist has disciples and they fast. How come your disciples don't fast? And he said, "Oh, they'll come at the time." He said, "They can't now. Why, why, should, why should they fast? Why should they mourn when the bridegroom's with them? The time will come when they will fast." And that's the age we're living in now. So uh, now, of course, uh, we're going to look at scripture here in a second. Ma- uh, fasting can be done and should be done privately. One of the most famous passages uh, on fasting is in Matthew chapter six, and you can look at it, or just, you can look it up, or read it on the screen. Where Jesus said, "When you fast." Do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So what he's saying here, look, we've got the Pharisees, we've got the hypocrites, we've got people who make a very public display of fasting. Uh, when they fast, they want everybody to know they're fasting. And uh, we laugh about it and joke about it this time of year, you know. it's uh, uh, if, if you walk around kind of holding your stomach, almost like you're just waiting for somebody to ask you everything, okay, oh, it's fine, but I'm fasting. I'm going three weeks without my favorite food. I'm going three weeks without food, whatever, just so you can... Uh, pour it on or whatever and jesus uh, jesus says you know to, to the best of your ability just make everything appear like it's normal the fasting needs to be between you and be, be between you and god this is different because it's a corporate fast we'll talk about it here in just a second uh, but these are times of seeking god growing closer to him and simply practicing self-discipline you can be led we are going to have there's something that we are going to focus on during this corporate fast, but you are going to have three weeks here. This can be a very personal, powerfully uh, personal time between you and God, between you and your family and God, for him to speak to you about things that he wants, some changes he wants to work in your life, in your family life. Uh, And it doesn't need to be limited to these three weeks, of course. All I'm saying is whatever our subject is, whatever it is we're pursuing as a church, make sure you're working in that time, especially during this fast, in this time of prayer and fasting, to hear from God for yourself. I pray every Sunday, every week, uh, and prayed on, on the way here today. Uh, it was my, you know, Rainy usually prays for us, but uh, she let me pray today, that, that the things I speak are for you from God. So I know, I, be, I believe God answers prayer, so I believe you are going to hear from God every Sunday and every Wednesday night that you're here. But he will also speak to you. You know this. I'm just encouraging you to, to grasp onto this. He'll speak to you in your time of prayer, in your time of study, in your time of conversation and fellowship, as long as that time is focused on him. He can speak to you in numerous ways. You can watch a movie, and something in that movie uh, might, might spark something where he's like, ah, I see something. This is a great illustration, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about God laying something on your heart, revealing something to you as you purposely pursue him and his leading. Uh, there's also times of uh, uh, corporate fasting, as I just mentioned. This is one of them. Uh, two examples that quickly come to mind are when Jonah preached uh, to the Ninevites. You know, he went in there and, and just prophesied, hey, yet three days and this city will be overthrown, uh, or yet 40 days this city will be overthrown. He preached for three days. And the the... Ninevites, the entire city, uh, they fasted. Even their animals fasted. Uh, they put on sackcloth and ashes, and they repented, and the city was spared. Esther, Queen Esther, you know, when she was getting ready to, you know, she, Mordecai had convinced her she needed to go to the king and confront him on this issue that was threatening to the Jews. And she said, if I do that, I could die. And Mordecai said that this is the whole reason you're probably here. You've been put here for such a time as this. And so she said, all right, here's what's going to happen. Here's what I need you to do. Here's your part. You go tell our people to fast and pray for these three days, and my maids and I will also do the same thing. So this was a time of corporate fasting in a time of crisis, of national crisis. Uh, And there is also what is known as the Daniel fast, which is probably very like what most of us are doing you can read about it in the book of Daniel. In chapter 1, of course, you know Daniel and the, the other three Hebrew children were, were among the nobles who were taken ca- uh, into captivity into Nebuchadnezzar's court. And he chose the brightest, the smartest, the best-looking, uh, healthiest ones to be trained in the ways of the Babylonians. He's going to teach them their language, their culture, and everything. It was a three-year program. And uh, as a, it was going to be pretty intense training, and, uh, but one of the perks of it was they got to eat some of the best food. They got to, to have the king's delicacies. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he wasn't going to pollute himself with the king's food. So he told the guy in charge of his training, uh, don't, we'd, we would really rather not. And I don't know if it was because the, the food was specifically not kosher or what, but he said, can you just bring us vegetables? And the guy training him said, hey, you got to understand, uh, my neck's on the line here. If, if the king finds you looking weak and drawn because you look like you're not being fed well, it's my head that's going to roll, not yours. And Daniel said, well, do this then. Test us. Give us vegetables for 10 days and then come examine us. And he said when they when came in 10 days later, they looked healthier, fuller, stronger than anybody else. And so he quickly said, all right, nothing but vegetables and water for these guys. But you have to understand, that was for three years. That was a three-year thing. Uh, But you also see it wasn't a total fast. They simply denied themselves the enjoyable food. I mean, I hope they had some good vegetables like asparagus or something like that, and it wasn't just carrots and celery, but anyway. Uh, So you see, uh, well, I'll tell you this. Unless you are accustomed to fasting, and some of you might be. Maybe some of you fast regularly, two or three days here. Uh, a week there, maybe you do. If you don't, I frankly advise you against doing a total fast for three weeks. If, you, if your first exposure to fasting, a total fast, is a three-week fast, you might suffer some, some ill consequences there. It's kind of something you've got to prepare yourself for. Again, if you hear from God, you're probably not going to die from it. All right, People can go a lot longer than that without food. But I, what I would recommend is a Daniel-type fast deny yourself a category of food or several categories of food do the vegetables thing uh... it's a very healthy thing to do uh, it can be it can cleanse your body and and it could be a great start you know many of us uh... could use kind of a kickstart to healthier eating anyway and and but it's not just a physical thing let god show you uh, some things about your appetite and your diet and some changes he wants you to make long-term during this fast but this is a spiritual pursuit all right uh... The Bible also indicates that fasting is valuable when there are roadblocks between our faith and the manifestation of the thing that we are praying for. When we need a breakthrough, fasting is recommended. It can be a powerful tool in our arsenal. In Matthew chapter 17, we read this, and this, we read this right after. I don't know how much of a time gap there was, but we read about this right after the, the transfiguration. And Peter, James, and John are up on the mountain with Jesus and they see him glorified and they see Elijah and Moses, they have their eyes open, eyewitnesses of his glory. That's what Peter was talking about when he wrote that. Then they came down, it says in verse 14, when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down, and saying, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief, for assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now, I know some translations eliminate that. Uh, probably it should be there. Some of the, some of the, some of the oldest uh, translations include it. The reason I think some, and I don't know, obviously there are some manuscripts that don't, and that's why some translations don't include it. But when, for, every time I read it in a translation that does include it, I, want, I wish he had expounded on that connection. Why fasting? What does fasting have to do with the authority to cast out a devil or to affect to the healing? He doesn't expound on it. But what we do see there is still important. One thing I want you to see is the implication that Jesus himself fasted. Why? He was Jesus. He could do anything. That's a mistake. Jesus did not go around operating as God. Remember that, right? He operated as a man full of the Holy Spirit. The reason Jesus was so effective at everything he did was not because he was God in the flesh. It was because he was without sin and had the spirit without measure. So not, nothing between him and perfect faith. You and I still have to overcome the remnants of sin in our, in our members, okay? We're, it's, it's a constant struggle. We will be fighting that battle until we are relieved of this burden of the body. Okay, but Jesus was sinless, and so there was—he had a pure line of communication with God. He had the Spirit without measure, so he walked in perfect authority. But it says here, "This kind cometh not out, but by out not, but by prayer and fasting." And the implication there is that Jesus fasted. Okay, probably fasted regularly. We know for sure, he fasted for forty days, right? Forty days uh, in in the desert before the, uh, der, uh, right before the temptation episode. But that doesn't mean that he never fasted again. Uh, Keep in mind, though, what he said here is not this kind that only comes out by fasting. It's by prayer and fasting. And that's the other, maybe the more important implication, is that when we fast, it's not just about fasting. It's about prayer, right? Fasting unaccompanied by prayer is powerless and miserable, certainly miserable. This isn't a hunger strike, okay? We are not doing this. I'm not going to eat God until you give me what I want, all right? That's not how it works. And this goes back to what I said earlier about laying aside uh, TV, Internet, etc. Uh, you know, if you lay aside meat or chocolate or whatever, it's fine. This, this is fine. This is not about... Twisting God's arm or something. It's about something that's going to get our attention. And we fill, when we talk about laying the TV and internet aside, we open up that time for prayer. If we are laying aside a category of food, we are not necessarily making anything and making any adjustments in our schedule. So, what we do have to do is be careful to make sure that we are still making this about prayer. Now, if you're, in the, if you're in the habit of watching TV for three hours a night and you decide to fast TV, there's three hours you can do something with that you weren't doing before. You can get a lot of Bible reading done in three hours. You can get a lot of prayer, praying done in three hours, right? But if you're having a meal when you always had a meal, except you're not including meat or you're not including sugar or something like that, you haven't made any extra time for it. But we just completed our year of prayer. We're not done praying, right? But the whole idea was to establish the habit of prayer. And I know I kind of was, I was very much hit and miss uh, the last quarter there. I apologize for that. And we will continue to, uh, uh, to do the occasional prayer mail. But, but that's the whole idea. You know, we had, we had a year of praying for the lost and exiled. Uh, We did that for a year. Does that mean we no longer pray for the lost? Of course not. We had a year of others where we we trained ourselves to be others-focused rather than than self-centered. This is something that continues on, right? We just had our year of prayer, and the whole idea is to establish habits, patterns that we can carry forward from here, right? So uh, as we examine the kind of life we're supposed to be living, the things that distinguish us as followers of Christ. During this fast, we are free to focus our attention, put our attention on on some area of life that maybe deserves special attention for a time, for a specified period, in order to make long-term adjustments to our walk with the Lord. Now, one of those areas uh, that is much more important, much more central than many give it credit for, is the area of giving. You know, the vision of Living Word Family Church is live the gospel, preach the gospel. You cannot live and preach the gospel without giving. Giving is central to that. And we're going to be talking about giving, as Pastor Mike mentioned, for the next few weeks. And then we'll revisit it again from time to time throughout the year. But let me lay out some specifics for you so that you can pray specifically starting today. Remember, we start our fast today, whether you... Again, as far as the fasting itself, if you want to start tomorrow. But our project, our prayer project for this fast starts today. And I want to give you enough to, to lay before the Lord. As you, as you gather in times of prayer during this fast, these are some of the things that I want you to pray about as, as individuals and as families. And again, not, not just these things. You spend some time being led, let God deal with you. But as far as what we are pursuing as a church, this corporate time of prayer and fasting, here are some things I want you to think about. First thing is this, there is more to giving than money. People give of their time, their talents, their energy, etc. But don't kid yourself. It is a beg-off, and it is next to worthless to talk about giving without talking about money. The person who says, well, I give. I give generously. I just don't give money. Is bound by their money. 100 times out of 100. Money is a sensitive issue. I don't know of anything, not even tongues, that will make people uncomfortable faster than talking about their money. You know, it's kind of like people say, well, we can." uh, I love getting together with family. I love getting together with people. It's great as long as we don't talk about religion and politics. All right? Uh, People come to a church like ours. Maybe not so much coming off the street. An unbeliever can come into a church like this. They might have no idea what to expect, and so nothing really shakes them. Somebody comes from another church, and they come, and if there's a tongue and interpretation what is that i was taught that tongues is of the devil i was taught that tongues seized two thousand years ago whatever it makes people it gets people a little bit jumpy and of all the and there's all the gifts of the spirit and they say oh sure i can believe i believe god can heal uh praying for the sick that doesn't bother me words of knowledge words of wisdom wow that's pretty cool but tongues (laughs) why do people get hung up on that but I know people, I can tell you, I can name individuals, and not in here right now, uh, who have come, and as soon as they heard the topic was money on that particular day, well, I don't want to go to that church again. All they want is my money. All, that's all they ever talk about. Why would they, There's much more important things in the Bible to talk about than money. Yeah, there are. But Jesus talked a lot about money. It's Old and New Testament. And so it's ridiculous to say we should never talk about that. And the people who respond like that, Why are they responding like that? Because they are scared to death that you're going to say something that's going to cause them to feel guilty about not giving. Uh, And so they nip it in the bud. I just won't won't listen to that anymore. Money is not the root of all evil. Love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And it's the love of money that causes people to get their back up when they hear about money coming from the pulpit. And, you know, it's kind of one of those things like uh, honor your pastor uh, that uh, it's, sometimes it's easier to have somebody else come in and talk about it than it is for, than it is for me. Uh, so I remind you, you know, my, my salary isn't based on a percentage of the offering. It's not like if you give more, I get more. That's not how it works, all right? I, I, I really am telling you this for your sake and for the sake of us together as a church. Here's another thing. It is sometimes easier and more exciting to give generously to a special offering for a missionary or for an immediate need than it is to give to your church. But giving to the church is the day-to-day meat and potatoes, the essential discipline we have to embrace as generous people of the Lord. We will develop that in coming weeks. Also know this, there is a difference between the tithe and giving, but not as big a difference as some people want to make out of it. I have learned that those who argue against the tithe or want to argue about whether or not the tithe is, uh, is in force under the new covenant, because that's a lot of times when you start talking about tithing, when you start talking about giving, the tithe will come up, and then people will say, well, that's Old Testament. Show me in the New Testament where we have to tithe. And you really cannot say, you cannot find one verse that says, the tithe is still in force. You see, there, there are several things that assume it is. And we will we'll talk about that in the coming weeks. But the people who want to draw the line there, all they are usually trying to do is excuse their lack of generosity. I don't have to tithe. And if you don't, that's fine. And, but it's kind of like fasting. You don't have to fast. Fast. But you get to fast. You don't have to tithe, but you get to tithe. All right? If, and, and, and as we will discover, see, we're losing somebody already. There goes somebody offended that we're talking about money. I'm just kidding. We know better about him. Uh, <laughs> uh, when we, when we uh, talk about this uh, with the tithe, now where was I? They are not looking for a reason to say, uh, the person who argues against the tithe, I've never met somebody who says, I don't believe in the tithe. This is New Testament. We should be given everything. But that's pretty much what the New Testament says. The people who are arguing against the tithe, they're looking for an excuse not to give it all. Not always, all right? But the New Testament standard is, hey, you know, it all belongs to God. Give it all to him. You, You know, Give as you have purposed in your heart. Be led. Give as God leads you. And are you telling me that God would lay it on your heart to give nothing? To not support the work of the kingdom around the world and in your local church? You're going to be challenged on these things. And I know most of you already believe this. And many of you already practice this. This will be encouragement for many of you. Uh, But it'll challenge some of you. And if you'll embrace that challenge, just like uh, Doug was telling earlier, God will not let you down on this, okay? Uh, As I said, there are other ways to give, other things to give. Uh, While that's true, money is considered elementary, basic. It's a starting point for the generous life. Jesus said in Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 10, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? I actually like the way the Living Bible puts this. It goes like this. No, for unless you are honest in small matters, you won't be in large ones. If you cheat even a little, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with another person's money, why should you be entrusted with money of your own? So while, yes, there are bigger ways and other ways to give, Jesus makes it clear, you're kidding yourself if you think that you can skip that step. If you can't be faithful in something as piddly as money, I'm not going to give you the opportunity to be faithful in something more important. So when we talk about money's not that important, in one sense that's true, because God doesn't need your money. But don't kid yourself, it's important to you, isn't it? Sure it is. That's why we spend so much time making it. This is a church that believes. I mean, it is one of our doctrinal points. We believe that God delights in the prosperity of his children. You believe that? I believe that. And he has indeed given us all things freely to enjoy. But he sets rules. There are ways that we can legitimately enjoy those things, and there are ways that we can abuse the things that he has given us. Sex is a gift from God. You know he invented it, right? And he gave it to us as a means of procreation and enjoyment. But according to God, it is only to be enjoyed between one woman and one man in the covenant of marriage. And if we step outside those boundaries... We will cheapen it. We, when we violate that covenant, we dis, it's not just a matter of displeasing God through our disobedience. We also severely damage the enjoyment we are meant to experience. And sex becomes dirty. It becomes ugly. Money is useful. It, money is a means. It is a tool for many good things. Money can be enjoyed, but not if we love it. God has claimed the tithe. He said it's his. God gives us all things to enjoy, including money. But he says the rule he sets on on our money is the tithe belongs to me. And he insists that we live and give generously. If you violate his principles with money, and again, it's not just a matter of displeasing God, what happens is we damage ourselves and we find that money, which God intends to provide as a blessing, suddenly becomes a source of stress and even a curse. How many of you have been there? You know what I'm talking about. Has money or money issues ever been a curse or a source of stress in your life? It's not meant to be. The key is not, well, we just need to live in a, a society where there's no such thing as currency. That's not it at all. It's a matter of honoring God with it and using it as he, as he intended. The freedom uh, Praise and Worship team, you can be coming on up here. The freedom and the joy that comes with being and becoming people who give habitually is literally life-changing. And that's what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. And again, we will revisit this topic, this subject, often in the year to come. Please, if this is something, and I don't know if this applies to anybody in here. I really don't. But if the idea of hearing about money in church strikes you as offensive or makes you uncomfortable, I'm challenging you to stick with us for these next few weeks to hear it all. I promise you, at the end of it, you might walk away challenged, but I believe more than anything else you'll be encouraged. I believe the principles that are going to be laid out here in the next few weeks can turn aspects of your life around. And it's not just about getting on a firm financial footing. If we, I keep going back to what Jesus said. If you can't learn to be faithful in the little thing of money, you are being held back from true heavenly riches. Now, what, so, when, so the idea of being faithful with my money isn't a matter of letting go of more cash. It isn't a matter of just simply obeying God with the tithe. It's a matter of pursuing true riches. What is it we want from God? true heavenly riches what are those we'll be talking about that but it isn't about getting more money there's a principle, there's a simple principle there given it'll be given unto you you will reap what you sow reap as you sow you reap what you sow so i believe there's a biblical principle in giving and seeing money come back as a result of that i've experienced that many of you have we'll be talking about that but what the bigger issue is as i cultivate the habit and the lifestyle of giving and giving generously, I open myself up and I open up that avenue for God to pour deeper, richer, more important, weightier things into me from heaven. Amen? Stand up with me. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.